Now, if you're going through stuff, this week, as we're going through the study of the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, you've got to be here next week, right? Because next week we're going to cover where Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for his name's sake. Because this, when you do a relationship with God right, um, evil will take notice and will we'll, and we'll come against that. And we're going to talk about that next week. But this week, let's, uh, let's jump into, we've got a couple great Beatitudes in front of us. Um, if you got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. We've been focusing on um, this Sermon on the Mount. In it, Jesus teaches us what does an empowered walk with God look like. It's basically step by step. Um, these aren't, this isn't Jesus just giving out random uh, spiritual lessons. No, it, it is a step by step um, approach to your relationship with God. Jesus teaches this. He is a Jewish carpenter teaching Hebrew people. He teaches it in a typical Hebrew fashion. Um, our heritage comes out of the, the, the Greek way of thinking where you do step one, step two, step three in your teaching and you save the best for last. Not the Hebrew pattern. They had it flipped. They would give you the best part up front, kind of a, a, a summary of the entire teaching and then come back and break it down. And that's what Jesus is going to do. So the Beatitudes here, these first 12 verses, are kind of really just like Jesus said, hey, this is what this entire Sermon on the Mount is about. How do you have an empowered walk with God? A blessed life that, out of a relationship with God. And he, steps, he, he lines it up step by step. And then he's going to come back after this and he's going to show us in greater detail what that really looks like. Um, so Jesus is speaking about a healthy relationship with God. It results in blessedness, a blessedness that you can't get elsewhere. Uh, when Jesus is speaking of this blessedness, um, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Um, the, 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 the Latin word for blessed is beatus. That's why this section of the scriptures is called the Beatitudes. But when he says blessed, uh, he's not meaning it like like we understand it in modern America. Um, it's not that we've just, our, our understanding is softened. We, we think of blessing as something that is, that we, we, we like, that it's good for us. Um, not too long ago, I was helping my father and uh, he, he's got a little uh, tax issue and we went and saw a lawyer and this lawyer was a friend of mine and the lawyer said, hey, I'm going to look into this for you. Kind of as like a, as a favor to, to, to my friend, Bob, here. I'm going to look at this. And my father, he leans over on his desk and says, oh, that would be such a blessing. You know, and what my dad was communicating there was he's like, um, he's saying that, uh, um, hey, I appreciate it. What your, your work for me, your help to me is going to make my life easier. And I'm willing, in saying the word blessed, I'm communicating, I, I'm a Christian also. And I appreciate it. That's going to be such a blessing. That's kind of how, that's, that's some of the ways that we'll use blessing. But that's not what Jesus is getting at. Where it's like, hey, this is something that's going to give you a little bit of help in life. A little bit of, uh, of convenience. A little bit of just taking the load off. A blessing like that. No, Jesus is talking about, he uses that word blessing here. It carries with it the, the, uh, the notion of empowerment. Of like, like this, is, this is going to um, take your life, not just... Uh, a little bit of convenience, but add to a level of power, a level of significance. That's what he's teaching us here. And people listen to him. I, I was reading one of my devotionals this week, and it, 
guy was pointing out how, like, if you don't think somebody is competent, you tend to not listen carefully when they're speaking to you. So it's like, it might be, it's like, yes, 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 you know so much about the stock market, but you know nothing about the Dallas Cowboys. And so when you start throwing out what you think is wrong with the Cowboys, I'm not listening to you. It's like, you know, talk to me about money, I'll listen to you. Or maybe vice versa. Sure, tell me about why um, the offensive line is struggling right now. And maybe Dak Prescott isn't what we thought he was three years ago, you know, but, uh, but you don't know nothing about money. Don't talk to me about my finances. You, you tune people out. People looked at Jesus and they said, this is not, he's not teaching us how to have just a, a life with more convenience. It's like, man, when Jesus prays, something happens. When, when trouble comes across Jesus, he handles it differently. Jesus is, is powerful. And so when he starts teaching them, how do you have an empowered relationship with God? They're like, I'm listening, Jesus. And a crowd gathered around him. That's what we're tapping into right now. I want you to notice as the way Jesus teaches these Beatitudes, that they divide into two sections. The first four Beatitudes deal with how a person should relate to God. Uh, in order to begin and maintain a healthy relationship with God, a person needs to be poor in spirit. That's the first uh, Beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You've got to recognize that you've got a need. A need that only God can fill. And that in and of yourself... You lack what is necessary. Spiritually, you are poor. It's the first step to having a relationship with God. A lot of people miss out on the life that God has for them because they cannot and will not admit that they're in need. They just got to present themselves as having it all together all the time. But if you can recognize your need, then that will open you up to what God has to say. You're like saying, hey God, I need to know what you know. I need to have what you have. And it opens you up to that. And when you become open to God, God begins to speak to you, not about the things that you recognize with your own mind, but he speaks to you about on the deeper things. And that will allow you to, to think and to feel deeply about the same things that God feels deeply about. And it will cause you to mourn. And that's what Jesus says in that second part. Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. God will share his thoughts and his heart with you. And when that happens, you begin to mourn. God will show you things that are not right in your life. Things that he wants to heal you from or mature you out of. To mourn means more than just to feel bad about something. It, it, it means to, um, uh, it, it means to, to think to, to strongly about the same things God feels strongly about. Uh, we, we mourn. The, the effects of our sin, the effects of our mistakes, of our bad choices. God mourns things much deeper than that. Like we think God got mad at us because we missed church. God sees the heart. He knows, he knows what the, what's really going on there. And he knows when, there's, when, you're, when your life truly is just sick and you can't get out of bed. He knows that. He also knows when we make an idol out of something and we just prefer it. We might make an idol out of sleep. I love sleep. My goodness, it's wonderful. My kids fight it. Take a nap. No! Then every night is a, uh, it's a crisis trying to get them to go to sleep. Just so I can go to sleep. No, but I could make an idol out of that. A lot of people, a lot of us do that. Um, we think um, we think God gets mad at us because we spoke 
terribly to somebody. That's, that's just the symptom of something that's going on deep in the heart. God mourns the, 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 the reason why we can't forgive, why we hold a grudge, why we won't let go, why we get so easily irritated with others. He mourns that deeper stuff. God, so when God starts to speak to you, when you become poor in spirit and, and you open yourself up to God, God's going to speak to you on those deeper levels. Now you can feel strongly about what God feels strongly about. And instead of repenting over just um, what you did, you start repenting on the deeper level about why you did it. It changes your life. As you... God begins to speak to you as God shares his mind and his heart with you. It leads you to the next step. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. We learned last week, meek is not a, um, it, because, just because it rhymes with weak doesn't mean it has anything to do with being weak at all. In fact, it's a symbol of strength. The word meek comes from um, a story from Alexander the Great of his great horse, Bucephalus. Um, a horse that did not need to be saddled, did not need to be bridled, was that that... That, that he and his master were so connected, he could just lead him with a tug on his mane and a whisper in his ear. Meekness is the symbol of strength, but a connection with a master, a submission to someone else's will. And when you have that kind of connection with, with God, he'll do things with you and he'll lead you to places that he doesn't take most people. Jesus says, empowered are the meek. Do you know there's only two people in the Bible that the Bible would said were meek? First is Moses. I mean, Moses is the hero of the Old Testament. You know the other person who is said, who's said to be meek in the Bible? Jesus. Those two walked closely with God. Oh, to be meek, to have that kind of connection with God. Now, when you've got that kind of connection with God, when, when God is leading you, because you're able to be meek and you're submitted to his will, you're so in love with who he is, you're so in touch with his mission, I mean, he'll, he'll, he'll use you to march upon the gates of hell. And that's when the gates of hell will not prevail, as Jesus said. And when that happens in your life, it makes the next step come about. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Once you start seriously walking with God, what happens over time is your appetites begin to change. You'll start to get mastery over your, your, your appetites, your addictions. And it may, it may not happen overnight, but it does happen over time. So, so uh, um, when you are, when you're no longer, when those appetites are no longer at the center of who you are, you start to hunger for things other than sex or money or, or um, status. Uh, you, you actually hunger to, to see God's kingdom expand, to see hearts change, to see lives transformed. You, you hunger for his word. It's not, it's not work to get up extra early, you know, to come in and study his word with God's people. It's not an extra effort to go to a life group. It's like, I, I, these are the things that I'm hungry for. I want them. Um, Psalm chapter, Psalm 1, 1. It begins, it says, um, uh, it says that, uh, when my mind can't go, I'll just read it to you. I love this psalm. 
He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. As he talks about his delight is in the law of the Lord. It's like dessert. My, my children love dessert. You mentioned sugar and they come alive. Dessert. I love dessert. My goodness, I just wish dessert didn't leave, you know, layers on me because I would eat it all the time. Chocolate, caramel, so good. That's the way he says about, like, like I, man, I'm making myself crave it as I talk about it. He says that, that the, 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 the blessed man here, his delight is the law of the Lord. Listen, my kids could be asleep or watching their favorite movie and I'll sit there and say, hey, chocolate chip cookies, they're in the kitchen. It's a delight. When you, when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, God changes your appetites. You delight in it. It's your dessert. It's not a discipline anymore. It's your craving and it's a good craving, right? So, all right, um, and these sort of things don't happen overnight. Uh, we live in a world where we like instant gratification. And the reason why we like instant gratification is because really our core just hasn't changed. But when your core changes, you understand the process and you celebrate it. You don't need to learn anything from instant gratification. Now, these first four Beatitudes, they deal with how you as an individual relate to God. Now, beginning in verse 7, your relationship with God begins to impact how you relate to others. Remember, they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he says it was two things. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Every command God gives. He says on, on these two, all the law and the prophets hang. Jesus is saying every command God gives us in the Bible is either a command on how we are to love him or how we are to love others. And if you walk with God, letting him guide your steps, generally he's going to call you to take a step to either grow in how you love him or grow in how you're able to love others. And once you begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness, look what comes next. Verse 7. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You see, once you begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness, now you've got to seriously consider what you're going to do in regards to this world that is so unrighteous. Now, at your core, you want the things of God. You, you yearn for them. You take your greatest pleasure in the things of God. But you still live in a world that seems to find pleasure in everything else but God. Now, now your desire is truth-telling. Now, now your desire is for no secrets. Now, now your desire is to live a life where yes is yes and no is no. Now you have a desire for holiness and purity. But you live in a world where people mock these sort of things rather than pursue them. And at most, at the most minimal level, that in and of itself will be frustrating. But quite frankly, that usually is a cause for a lot of anger and bitterness among Christians. Right here, at this point, this is where you've got a choice. 
And it's a choice you have to make because either you could continue moving closer to God or you can become judgmental and legalistic. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You see, the Pharisees of Jesus' day, they hungered and thirsted for, the, for righteousness. And they had all these laws lined up to help them do that. They wanted the things of God. They, they wanted a life to live so pure that God would not even come close to sending them back in exile like he did when he sent the nation of Israel to Babylon. But they missed God's heart. They wanted righteousness, but they missed God's heart. And they became legalistic, judgmental. And Jesus had the most trouble with them. What Jesus is saying is, once, once, he, once you get to this point, once your appetites begin to change towards righteousness, be careful to take the next step, which is mercy. This new appetite for righteousness must be tempered with mercy. Mercy means that you're not, only, that you're not a person who lives by the letter of the law, but you're a person who lives redemptively. You see, the purpose of the law was not simply to give us rules and wisdom to live by. The law was given by God to frustrate us to the point that we realize we have a need. It was designed to make us poor in spirit. That was the purpose of the law. Galatians 3.24 says, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. What this means is, is that the law was put in place, put in charge, so that we might see how we don't measure up. So that we can see how we failed. And that we might see that no matter how hard we work or how much we try, that in and of our own strength, that we could not attain the righteousness of God. The law was given so that we could recognize our need for a Savior. That we might recognize our need for Christ and turn in faith to Him. But, but if you make the law an end in and of itself, then, then what happens is we tend to become legalistic and judgmental. Our job is to live in obedience so that people can have a witness of God's law and then to show them the redemptive mercy of God. The law shows us the problem, which leads us to the Savior who brings about redemption. If you're going to have a right relationship with God, then his end goal will have to become yours as well. And ultimately, God's goal is that we be redeemed, that we turn to the Savior. So you have to, when you start to hunger and thirst for righteousness, you have to very consciously choose to take the step of mercy with people. Jesus tells a story of a man who owed a debt of of a million dollars. It's found in Matthew chapter 18. And, And this man could not pay the debt. And he's about to be sent to prison. And he begs the king for mercy. Please, please have mercy on me. And, and the king forgives his debt. Now the man, as he leaves, and he's now free of his debt, he comes across a man in, out there in the streets who owes him like $5. And the guy says, oh, I can't pay you. Please, please have mercy on me. But the man who had just got his big debt forgiven says, no way. You owe me that $5. And he has the man sent to prison. Well, word gets back to the king who just forgave his great debt. And this is what Jesus says, Matthew 18, starting in verse 32. Then his master summoned him and he said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. 
And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him over to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What Jesus is teaching here is that the end purpose of God is not judgment. It's redemption. God will judge But the ultimate call of God is to redeem, to make right. That's why the story of the cross is the greatest story ever told. It's the story of redemption. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You need to know that once you begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness, once you crave truth, holiness, once you desire purity, once you begin to take pleasure in the things of God and you run into people who enjoy and pursue the lesser things in life, even destructive things in life, you need to remember that the, that the ultimate, that, that in the end, the ultimate purpose of God is redemption. And so you have to choose the path that leads to redemption. And oftentimes that's mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. For the record, you have to walk with God in this. Um, Sometimes a person needs to bear the weight of their consequences so that they can become poor in spirit. Sometimes mercy is not what a person needs. Sometimes in a particular moment, in order for them to become poor in spirit so that they can seek God themselves, they have to endure the consequences of their choices. That's why in Galatians 6, 7, it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he also will reap. Sometimes God's plan for redemption is that a person reap what they sow. Then once they reap the consequences of what they've sown, they will awaken to their need and turn to God. You say, well, how do I know? How do I know? Uh, When do I extend mercy and when do I let them suffer consequences? The answer? Prayerfully. Prayerfully you seek the heart of God. But as for yourself, as you grow in a relationship with God, in order to walk with God, you need to choose redemption as you deal with other people. And a lot of times, that's mercy. Micah 6.8 says, he's shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Are you the person who always has to win? Are you the person who always has to have the last word? Always has to be right? Or are you merciful in how you deal with people? Merciful doesn't mean being weak. Merciful doesn't mean you let people walk all over you in life. Uh, um, But rather, instead of blasting yourself or blasting others for their failure, you seek to turn whatever the situation is into a win. With grace and with truth. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, you know what mercy does to you? Look at verse 8. It makes you pure in heart. Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
See, the closer you get to the mind and the heart of Christ, the, the more pure your motives become. Did you know you can do the right things for the wrong reasons? You could do the right thing for the wrong reason. But what a difference it is when you start doing the right things for the right reasons. Uh, let, let's, talk, let's take being a part of church, for example. I mean, because we're all here at church today. Being at church is the right thing to do. God says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. God says uh, to not forsake meeting together. And, and God says to worship the Lord your God only. It, it is right to join others in church in a time of worship. But maybe you've experienced this. What happens when you do the right thing? Come to church. But you do it for the wrong reason. You ever done that? I have. What happens? You're bored when you're here. You leave feeling empty. You, you get a feeling of frustration, maybe even bitterness or anger. But when you come for the right reason, when you come because you want God, you love God, you want to obey and honor God, then, then church becomes something you don't want to miss. Uh, you ever seen somebody sing in church? I mean, we got to see Lee do it today. You ever seen somebody, it's good to sing in church. Have you ever seen somebody sing in church? Not because, and it didn't look like they, it was because they loved God. It's like because they just loved the attention that they're getting from you. You ever seen that? It's not as powerful. But when somebody does it, and it is because they just love God, man, what they, what they bring forth, it looks different. It, it smells better. It just comes across as refreshing. It wasn't a show. It's somebody's heart. You could do the right thing for the wrong reason. I remember in my last church, uh, had a woman who was, uh, she was our nursery director. And, the, and if you asked her, why, why do you lead the nursery? She says, well, it's for legacy. My grandma did the nursery. My mom did the nursery. It's my family legacy. She was doing the right thing. Taking care of babies so mommies and daddies can go to church. She had the wrong attitude and reason. And so, because she didn't have the right attitude and the right reason, when, uh, when a toddler upset her, she'd kick them out. I said that as pastor. I was like, wait, wait, wait. You just kicked a three-year-old out of church? Wasn't helping her with her legacy. We would have events, and it's like, hey, we need somebody to watch kids. Not me. But you, that's your job. No, nope, not going to do it. It was, just, it, was, it was just bad. She was doing the right thing. But you ever find somebody who would work in the nursery because they love God? I said, I want to serve God. I want people to, to have opportunity to, to, have, to not have the distraction of their own children because children don't understand that you're giving attention to somebody other than themselves. I want them to have that kind of time so they can hear God's word. They can think about God's word. I'm going to work and I'm going to watch and I'm going to love babies. Comes across way different. 
And you find somebody that, that they're in there because they love God. Doing the right thing for the right reason. Two different people can serve in the same nursery, but the love they give to those babies is not the same. Look, when you get right with God, not only does it cause you to make better decisions in life, now you, became, you can begin to do things with pure motives. And when, when they're done with pure motives, what comes out is much better. When you do things with pure motives, God gets the glory. When you do things with pure motives, others sense that the right thing that you've done is somehow different. And what happens is your influence becomes lasting. People begin to trust you. I'm sure you've run across folks that come up and they're offering you stuff and, uh, and you just know there's an ulterior motive. Their motives aren't pure. Sure, they're offering you help, but it's not for you. It's for them. And you can smell it. And if you had another option, you'd go with it. People can see that when you're not pure in heart. But if you can start doing the things, the right things for the right reasons, it's, look, this world is so full of ulterior motives. Like, we're just, we're just surrounded by the stench of false motives. I mean, my goodness, I watch Fox News and I see all the stuff going on on Capitol Hill and not one of them seems pure at heart to me. Sorry if I'm being judgmental. It doesn't seem like they're after, they're looking to help people. They're looking to help themselves and you can smell it. And it's disgusting. But when your walk in Christ changes your heart and it becomes pure, and you come into a situation, that's different. That's, that, that, that's fragrant. That's beautiful. What is that? And people become attracted to it. You know what it'll do in your business? People will choose you. I don't, I don't know why. This person looks like they're actually here to help. They're actually here to serve. They're, they're going to they're gonna follow through with what they say. They're not just here to get a quick buck out of me. I, can only, I can't tell you what it is. They smell different. Look different. You'll get more business because of it. And I'll be careful with that. Because you can't fake it. You can't go out there and try to look pure in heart. Some people do try. I tell you what, when it's real, you can do the right thing for the right reason and what comes out of it is so much better. Serving with our children's ministry, thank you for that. You do it for the right reason, the result of our ministry is going to be so much better. Teaching life group, a lot of different motivations you could have. You do it with a pure heart. What comes out comes out so much better. That's what Jesus is leading us to. Blessed are the pure in heart. They'll see God. You're now connecting with God's heart and his mind. And when that happens, people are attracted to Christ in you. It starts to get attention, particularly of those who have a different agenda. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. Blessed are those who are persecuted. You've been going through some stuff. You want to be here next week. Blessed are the pure in heart. You know how we trust Jesus? He's pure in heart. He showed us that he loved us. What he did for us on that cross, 
That's for us. He gave every bit of himself for the will of God and the love of you. That's why we're just drawn to Jesus 2,000 years later to have somebody that you can call to in the midst of your need. And he understands and he loves different. Jesus is not the God who said they're saying, you need to do this and do this and do this and do this or else I'm going to get you. He's the son of God who says, you know what? I'm going to give it all up for you. And then I'll give you even more. Pure in heart. That's why we trust him. Let me ask you this. Have you trusted Jesus to save your soul? Are you trusting Jesus to guide your steps in your marriage, in your business, in your family, in your spiritual growth? No one else like Jesus. We're going we're gonna to close today by observing what Jesus told his disciples to do in remembrance of him. It's called the Lord's Supper. If you're new here, I want you to know everybody is invited to partake. Some churches you have to be a member. Some churches you have to be a part of the particular denomination. Willow Bend is a church made up of a lot of denominations. So we just can't be like, you're in and you're out. Basically, if Jesus is someone you've trusted to save your soul, you're in. And you're invited to partake. I'm told that our little matzah crackers are gluten-free. So if that's something that's a concern for you, um, I'm told you don't need to be concerned today. But you come and you take. And uh, I'm going to ask you to come in and take a piece of the bread and a little cup of the juice of, um, that symbolizes his blood and take it back to your seat and we're going to take it together. In the scriptures, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's a way for us to proclaim, yes, I have trusted in Jesus and that his death on the cross took my place satisfied the righteousness of God and shows that he absolutely loves me and I trust him with my soul. I trust him with my life. It's a way that we can proclaim it to everyone around. I trust Jesus, the one who is, no one has been as merciful as him or as pure as heart as him, the one who I want to be like. If you have not taken that step and by a, by a step of your own will trusted Jesus, uh, when everybody's coming forward to receive, I'm going to stand over here to your left. And uh, if you need and you want to trust Jesus today to save your soul, 
Let me pray with you. Let me help you take that first step. Let me invite our musicians to come forth. And uh, they're going to sing a, a truth that's really the core of what, um, what this is all about. The truth that Jesus loves us. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you that Jesus shows how we can really have not just a casual, comfortable relationship with you, but one that is empowered. One that can be step by step the way Jesus walked. That God, that we can have a relationship with you that, um, that makes a difference, that 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 smells sweet in a world that is full of false motives and the stench of selfishness. That God, because of Jesus Christ in our life, that we can be different. And I know it doesn't happen all at once, God. But little by little, you make a difference in our life. Father, I pray that if there be any here today that has not taken that step of salvation you'd call to them right now and let me help them pray and take that same first step that I took many years ago for the rest Father God I pray that as they're dealing with things in their businesses in their marriages in their homes in their families that they could continue to trust you to trust you to sort it out to trust you to grow them in the midst of it and God, that today they can walk away renewed, just trusting in your love. Father God, thank you that Jesus gave his life for us, that his body was beaten, that his blood poured out, he, but it was all that we might be saved. He took the penalty. He paid the price that we could never have paid ourselves. Thank you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.